0: Mars, the red planet, the fourth rock from the sun.
1: The act of bringing Matt Damon home is something that brings the entire humanity together.
2: I think I'm gonna cry now.
0: Greetings, Earthlings. Welcome to the Flick Lab. We take you on a bi-weekly journey via films. We're focusing on international cinema. Today's episode will be discussing the movies made about the planet Mars from the last 111 years. And in the process, we'll explore how the depiction of Mars has changed in cinema during this time. Currently, we are a hosting team of three people now. I'm Karri, a Finn living in Malaga, Spain. I'm a media assistant by education and work in IT.
1: I'm Henrik. My friend living in Anakoski, Finland. <laughs> and I'm Zach.
2: I'm an American living in Boston. I have a bachelor's in radio, television, and film and a master's in public policy.
0: Zach is our new member, and it's your third episode with us. And, well, is he? No
2: longer a virgin.
0: Yeah, well, is your husband jealous yet that you are talking online with two handsome Finnish guys? How, hours upon hours.
2: Um. He is, and whenever I talk to those two handsome Finnish guys on the other podcasts that I do, uh, he does get really jealous when I do that.
1: (laughs) Seeing how we are talking about Finnish guys, I have to call bullshit.
2: Excuse me.
0: (laughs) Aren't we handsome, Henrik?
1: Well, I'm not making that statement on, uh, on behalf of either one of us.
0: Oh, come on. Mars, the red planet, the fourth rock from the sun. So, I've been always interested on a layman level in the astronomy, and I've found Mars fascinating for quite some time. I followed the Spirit and Opportunity rover launches in 2003, and the Phoenix Lander in 2008, and now the Perseverance rover is on Mars, doing some more advanced science. Some background about Mars, I guess. Uh, So, the red color of Mars, it's it's thanks to the iron oxide making the surface rusty. It has a thin atmosphere. It's so thin that the atmospheric pressure would crush you, Henrik, in seconds or minutes. And The Martian year is much longer than on Earth, about twice the Earth year, 687 days. Uh, Length of the seasons varies due to the orbital eccentricity. The length of the days is almost the same though. The workaholics will love Mars because they will have their precious extra hour in their day as the day is about 25 hours long. Temperatures can range from the pleasant 21 celsius to the freezing cold, minus 142 celsius. It's not really a walk in the park or any kind of a beach party or volleyball game anytime soon because the radiation from the sun comes through with, without much trouble and uh, there's not en- enough atmosphere to keep the radiation at bay or magnetic fields.
2: So while I'm playing volleyball I'm gonna get a hell of a suntan.
0: Oh yes, wouldn't want to see that one. The eventual Mars colony will not be a long-term settlement, at least not now. Maybe when we once someday terraform it, maybe. The travelers who are sent there will be on Mars science missions, and the people will be rotated in and out of the planet because of the psychologically and physically taxing environment. You just have to be inside pressurized domes all the time. Can't really spend that time outside too much. The surface gravity is less than one-third of the Earth's, and it's unclear what will be the long-term consequences of such an environment. Well, we know that when we are on Earth orbit, in the free-fall gravity level, it will have negative consequences on the bone density, uh, cardiovascular health, vision, and cancer rates,
2: and more. But on the plus side, I will be a svelte 130 pounds, and I'm looking forward Mm. to that. Oh,
0: yeah. Mm. Now imagine this uh, six to nine-month trip to Mars in weightlessness, where you're hopefully avoiding dangerous space radiation, and then landing on Mars and then starting your ground mission, where you fight the Martian gravity and learn to walk again. And then spending there let's say six months then returning to weightlessness uh, again on the spaceship return mission hopefully for now at least personally i think it's gonna be better to just have like a or think of it as a one-way mission which could be deadly but what you're gonna do so you have the returning trip weightlessness for six to nine months and then you return back to earth gravity this will have some Kind of interesting consequences to human health, but we're going to do it anyway. There are polar caps, valleys and old riverbeds, kind of earth-like. And the lower gravity results in less steep landscapes. For example, take the Olympus Mons, the largest volcano and the highest mountain that we know a planetary mountain in the entire solar system. So it's about two and a half times higher than Mount Everest. But here's a fascinating thing for you guys. Say that you were on the top of the mountain right now. You most likely would not see that you're on top of the mountain when you're there because it is incredibly flat. And the mountain is about the size of the entire country, France. So whether you were at the top or the bottom, you would not even realize where it ends, unlike in gay sex.
2: (laughs) I have no idea what you're talking about.
0: (laughs) Me neither. But obviously there wasn't really virtually any science on Mars back in 1910 where we start our movie journey tonight. The planet had only been peaked with uh, telescopes and you could see only some surface features and then make wrong assumptions from those features. We thought there were canals and and water and maybe some alien civilization and structures. It was only in the 1970s when any useful data really started to pour in with the Viking landers from NASA. So before the 1970s you could get away with all kinds of absurd fantasy depictions of Mars or Martians. There was nothing to prove you really otherwise. If you'd If you do these kind of stories now, that you see from the 1910s movies for example, there's a chance that people wouldn't care about such fantasies of native Martian populations roaming around because because the stories would be anchored on this planet that we already know that is desolate and pretty barren and no green aliens there, or grey for that matter.
1: I don't know, if you go with today's film's lineup. Spoiler, spoiler, you actually find out that people are still quite thirsty, still for you know your your grey Martians or some type of idea of something actually living on the planet, which
0: is a bit of a problem for me when watching these films. But to support my assumption, there's a steep drop in Mars-related films in the seventies and eighties. After the sixties. We have to jump to the, to the 80s, late 80s to find anything Mars-related that I would know of. And then the 90s films, they start to come back with this new Mars boom. There's, I guess, a renewed public interest in the Martian microbial life uh, and the ideas of human colonization of Mars, as seen in Total Recall from 1990 and Red Planet 2000 and some others. But yeah, Mars movies have been historically kind of weak performing at the box office. For example, Mission to Mars, The Red Planet, these these two films that were dumped on the same year, 2000. And then The Last Days on Mars from 2013. Notable flops, like brutal flops, at least the last one here.
1: Although, to, to be up. Absolutely honest, there might be other reasons why those films flopped. Not just the fact that, you know, Mars wouldn't attract eyeballs. Could be distribution or who knows. Could be, simply put, quality.
0: <laughs> okay, Any got an overview of the Martian movies in general. Like, what, what is what has been released out there?
1: Well, that's a- 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 actually quite a long one.
0: That is quite a long, long list. There are at least 30 to 35 Martian films that I'm aware of. Starting from 1910, the latest from 2018, I guess, this 2036 Origin Unknown film. These are varying shapes and sizes of of films. There's short films, there's just downright fantasy, there's animation. Uh, there's some kind of a more serious science takes than there is the notorious 50s and 60s B-movies.
1: It depends a hell of a lot about the B-movie in in question. No, not necessarily as a, as a genre, but but B-movies B easily get, get lumped too easily with, with you know, trash. U- under the sentiment that no artistic or ideological values were present in making of the film and nothing worth of of theme or idea is is to be seen in in B movies and that kind is just your average typical hollywood elitism which doesn't really have bearing in reality
0: yeah there's are bottom line movies trying to make the, the easy bucks at the box office artistic quality is secondary
1: Usually, well, one, once again, once again, it's it's it depends on the B movie.
0: You're such a contrarian, Henrik.
1: <laughs> what? <laughs> I, I can't help it. I mean, fucking James Cameron got his start in making B movies, <laughs> yeah. and and a, 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 everyone who has seen seen like like the the first ones can, can actually detest that even in those. There there wasn't artistic identity and artistic idea, and there was also some kind of a thematic idea going on. Mm,
0: What am I supposed to detest?
1: I don't don't know. Uh, Not B-movies, if you ask me. Okay, maybe I heard you wrong.
0: Anyway, I guess the first one of the evening falls on me. So the idea here is to indeed to look for. What kind of a science-based ideas have been presented in these movies, and how realistic they might be, how plausible they might be in the future, how we can reflect them on what we know now, things like that. And the story seems to start with a trip to Mars from 1910. It's a kind of the the one that started it all. It's a short film. Did you guys watch it? Yep. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the, f- the first known Mars film to us, uh, the first American sci-fi film as well, it's been argued. It's a Thomas Edison production and done around the time when the world was moving away from this George Melies type of sci-fi spectacles and gimmicks and moving on to serious historical reenactments such as D.W. Griffith's A Birth of a Nation. Is this now a third episode in two months when I'm men- mentioning Griffith? God help us.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm having, well, like second thoughts about introducing you to, to the, birth, the birth of a nation.
2: Mm. So this is all your fault, Henrik. I just want to make sure I'm clear. It, it is. It again. is.
1: It is. But since I'm all hard, if Carrie really wants it and really asks for it, yeah, we can do a follow-up Griffith, episode.
0: Well, hold that thought. This is a four-minute short film directed by Ashley Mier- Miller, and that's all the credits that you get for regarding this film. We don't know who the actors are. But uh, in the film, there's a professor or scientist of some kind who has discovered reverse gravity, and this, of course, means that, that you will float out of the Earth and onto Mars, just like that, and this gravity switch will affect the, the professor only and not the earth or the other objects, because he drops the powder on himself, because he has created this gravity-altering powder or powder mix, and he drops it on different items and they start floating in his lab. And the professor can can be seen doing kind of what looks like a river dance for celebration. Yay! So he floats to Mars and faces some kind of a half tree, half human type of creatures, and then realizes that he's not that that he's not maybe in a safe place. There's kind of a, these giant faces. One of them puffs the poor professor into the air, and he lands on the palm of a giant goblin of sorts. And then the goblin then puffs cold air and makes snowballs out of the professor and then he burns the snowball and then it then it um, apparently explodes or something happens which makes the professor to eject out of mars and back to his lab directly then i don't know what kind of a stroke of genius is happening here but he appears to purposely throw the powder mix on himself excuse me on the floor and then this causes the entire house to lift off to the skies and I I gotta hand it to the to the film. The special effects are pretty impressive for a nineteen ten film. Different effects used: sub action, substitution to replace objects, uh, primitive stop motion trick to make the snowball, and rear projection for scaling. But regarding Mars, let's con- concentrate on that. So this is uh, way before the Viking landers. Science dump. So we see <laughs> anthropomorphic giant Martians. As kind of a tree type of uh, humanoid figures. We see no concerns about the atmosphere of Mars. It's depicted as breathable and Earth-like. Was the movie made with any kind of a serious intent? What do you think, guys?
2: I wouldn't say a serious intent. I definitely think this is uh, just a bit of fun. I think this is fantasiful. Fantasiful? That is not a word. Fanciful. Mm. Um, You know, this is play. Uh, especially in 1910, when filmmaking was really in its infancy. And I think a lot of filmmakers, George Melies and and the like, it was really about just what kind of fun shit can we do with this? And isn't it really cool that we can do these things like rear projection and these, like you said, these sort of very primitive stop-motion animations to make it look like I'm being held in the palm of some giant goblin. Isn't that fucking cool? Uh, and it was, and it still sort of is. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I think this is yeah, this is just a good time.
0: Yeah, Henrik, as I think you are a fan of science fiction, what, what do you think? Is this reflecting any kind of a sci-fi literature of the time? Any thoughts?
1: Well, yeah, no. Uh, the closest kind of comparison, perhaps, that you could draw from from the film, and even even this is somewhat. Stretching it, I would I would place the, the closest comparison to, to Jules Verne. Mm, yeah. Who, uh, uh, who as, a, as an author, yeah, dealt a hell of a lot with, with also with the fantastical. And you can make the argument that Verne's books were more fantasy than, than like real science fiction. Or science fiction with any real science in it. Because mm-hmm. most of Wern's scenarios were, were of such quality that they were not actually doable during Wern's time. And because of that, it, it kind of lent Wern the ability to, to, so to say, reach for the stars in his, with his imagination. But Wern still very much tried to think his scenarios through. The success rate is something that we can all debate about but he he did kind of try he did try to think the scenarios through with enough logic and reason as to not like go completely out of the window with plausibility at at least you know by during the but at least but not by the standards of his his time and that's something that kind of does not on the other hand, appear on the first like sci-fi films, like for example, you know, the, the film question in question now, where basically the whole Mars is reached th- through by some kind of a anti-gravitation powder, <laughs> <laughs> like they so and, and that's that's kind of you end up in this this mixed-up hodgepodge situation where. Uh, certainly, you know, a, a researcher reaching Mars and finding out that Mars is inhabited by some type of humanoid beings. That, of course, is something that very much could, can exist, in, in, or could exist in in world's books. But the, the whole anti-gravitation powder, that's just too fantastical even to Jules Verne.
0: Yeah, the whole premise of this Powder is rather bonkers, but yeah, it's hard to take any of the film really seriously. If I had to take a guess, it was just one of the many ass esque Edison films which was trying to cash on the the cinema as a kind of a freak show invention, as a new invention.
1: Then again, as as today's lineup moves forward and, and we get deeper in, into the, you know, all, all, all the films that we have watched for today's episode. It kind of, movie by movie, and, and decade after decade, it starts to become more obvious that when it comes to kind of the filmmakers being pro-Mars, that's a sentiment uh, that mostly exists in these these older films. Like in, in these movies, the Mars is still essentially for Martians. And as, as the cinema kind of moves forward and at, at least in, in some degree, in some capacity, becomes more realistic, the sentiment behind the films also start to change and it becomes more and more like anti-Mars and pro-human.
0: Alright, so we're going to now talk about A Trip to Mars. Again, what? Yeah, it's a film from 1918, also named A Trip to Mars. But the original title is uh, Himmelskiby. It's a Danish film. So uh, Himmelskiby, it translates to the skyship. This was made during the Mars fever era after the public interest interest was renewed on Mars because of new observations of Mars on Mars. And there was even writing that This was the beginning of space opera, sub-genre of sci-fi. This might be evident in the the romanticized, risk-taking space adventure and the chivalric love, uh, interplanetary love. So (laughs) it's gonna get fucking bonkers, so... So in the story we have a navy captain who wants to kind of uh, defy everyone's expectations and travel to Mars with this skyship. uh, kind of our antagonist, let's say, is aptly named Professor Dubius, written D-U-B-I-U-S. Yeah. He is very much against the mission, but that's because he's just a jerk. He's but heard that he didn't come up with the skyship himself, because he's been working all his life on the same thing, and then he cannot believe that, oh, how can you do something that... I've been working all my life on it. In just two years, yep, they've built a spaceship in two years. One of the lady friends all of these people who go on this go on this trip says, "Quote, with this our first kiss, I initiate you to your deed." Meaning that the lady friend gives a kiss and then they kind of take the departure on the mission. So the skyship, it's an interesting mix, mix of kind of traditional airplane design and helicopter or a car. It can take off like a conventional airplane and then fly into outer space without any kind of a rocket propellant. It just flies there. And once it's in, in space, it appears to have artificial gravity. Or just the lack of understanding of how gravity works. Well, we know that Isaac Newton understood gravity already in the 18th century but um, he well he did the, the laws of motion and the universal gravitation, but it's likely that we didn't understand gravity in space much. Uh, what do you think? How much did Newton know about gravity in space? Yeah, I think we didn't understand gravity in space or indeed everywhere as a kind of a force around us until Albert Einstein joined the party in 1915 when he published the theory of general relativity and uh, well, if nothing else, this is at, at at the latest the the confirmed confirmation to us that how mass would behave in space. I would say that the the makers didn't intend this film to be taken too seriously either. I would also say that they had not read theory of relativity either. It had not been finalized as a paper until nineteen sixteen, and this film came out in nineteen eighteen. But but yeah, something. Else to be aware of is the aerodynamics in the time they were in their infancy when the film was made. It was just a few years earlier in 1909 when the proto versions of modern airplanes started to take their shape. And yeah, there are some science claims. Um, we would not be the, the fleet lab if we, if we would not address the science claims. So, okay, after this, I'm, I'm, I'm done with this film, I hope. So, I did some math, or I didn't, the computer did. So the travel distance from Earth to Mars at the closest approach is about 56 million kilometers. So the Himmelskibi claims to navigate through space with the speed of 12,000 kilometers per hour. And the trip takes them about a half a year. A beeline trip would take about 194 days. Uh, But you can never take a beeline trip because the planet would just zip right past you. You, you. you have to start the flight before the closest approach and, and then you arrive after the closest approach. So let's take NASA's Perseverance rover spacecraft as an example for this. The trip was 480 million kilometers and it departed Earth with the speed of about 39,600 kilometers per hour. So let's pretend for the sake of the argument that Himmelskipu would have the same distance to Mars, 480 million kilometers, right? And the mentioned speed was 12,000 12, kilometers. It would not take them the claimed six months for the trip, but four and a half years. Um, so w- with this claim that the movie is giving us, we just have to assume that Mars is now frozen in, in position on its orbit and that uh, Himmelskipu is just flying the six months that way, (laughs) yeah. And when they're about to reach Mars, there's one astronaut that says that they're advancing 10 times the normal speed. Nobody knows why, they just are. Maybe it's the gravitational pull of the planet, who knows. And yeah, Martians are depicted as human-like. They are kind of hippies. They have gotten rid of all kinds of violence, and they are, therefore, the more advanced civilization, pretty much. Pretty, pretty lazy imagination once again. I would say. It, it takes somewhat seriously some of the inventions that were around the corner, uh, but the kind of the carbon copy presentation of, of humans, or the Martians as kind of human like. It's al- always feels very lazy to me. It would, it would make sense, maybe in a reverse panspermia situation where Earth life would travel to Mars within a comet or kind of asteroid, but like an actual human being, living, breathing human being inside that asteroid, and then crashing on Mars and then surviving that, and starting to do some panspermia on the planet.
2: I was wondering how many episodes we were going to get through before the word panspermia
1: was used, and I am so glad it was only three. <laughs> it's a great word. Not to mention that also when it comes to the technologies. Around fuel and and engines, they also have gone forward as as time has passed. So most likely during nineteen tens, that they but both the fuel and the, and the engine burning that fuel wouldn't be as as like advanced as it, it it is today. Meaning that you know the travel time would be even even longer. And also the fact that, well, the film obviously does not take into account the possibility of, of you know, wh- what is the effects of leaving Earth gravity entering, you know, you know the, the spatial atmosphere and once again re-entering the Mars gravity and how is that going to affect like, like the ship itself?
0: So we go from the escape velocity of ejaculation to talking about Mars. That's interesting. It happened pretty fast.
2: I'm so I'm so proud of
1: us.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Improvement. What's next? It would be Elita, or however you pronounce that, from Henrik.
1: Well, there are actually spoilers since since you laid out that today we are going to watch. Or, or, or the topic is going to be exactly how how scientifically Mars has been portrayed in, in, all, in, in films throughout history. Well we, with I, I can just spoil I can, I can just spoil the answer for, for the rest of the episode. Right here right now it sucks. Wow <laughs> it, it, oh. it has sucked always it, it will always suck. The, the depiction of, of Mars, scientifically speaking, is always off. Yeah. The closest that we get perhaps happened in 2015. Yes, praise Lord. And, and you know, even, even with that, uh, well, that that's the, that's the hardest sci-fi that you're going to ever get. Outside of that, every single film we are going to talk about today fails miserably. And that's actually summarizing... Like, like when it, when it comes to that question, how how scientifically Mars has been being portrayed as a planet in movies, Th- there you have it. There you have it. Episode over. I I just I just did the entire episode for you guys. You're welcome. It's the cur-
0: yeah, thank you. It's the curse of the Martian or Mars related film. Somehow most of them really suck hard. But let's talk. How much is uh, sucking involved in Elita?
1: Well, once again, a deal is, it depends kind of exactly what the level of sucking we are we are looking at.
0: Yeah, I believe it involves like a princess from Mars who is able to see to the Earth's surface and probably some romance happens, but I'm not sure.
1: Mm, yeah, kind of of. Yup. Um Alita, there really is not that much to talk about Alita, Alita was a Soviet film directed by... Yakov Prozan who originally was kind of ousted from from Soviet Union, but as as Soviet Union was still finding finding its way to to kind kind of define itself, uh, Lenin decided that. For example, much, much in the same way as as Americans have done it, a movie could be a tool to kind of express your ideas or the ex- ideas of your institution, your, your system. And to this kind of push to, to have Soviet filmmaking started. And at that point, Protasanov was allowed to... Come back to Soviet Union, and this time he at least officially he was hailed as one of the master masters of of film, of, of cinema. So it was kind of Arita was kind of a case of of a once exiled director now hailed as a champion, and with that also facing the moment where he has to kind of prove himself. Uh, Arita itself. Uh, was given actually quite quite a large budget, uh, Soviet filmmaking speaking, even though Protasanov had to do some cuts from his most fantastic ideas. And it's it's very easily to be seen as a Soviet propaganda, but with the caveat that the film, either intentionally or unintentionally, also managed to have undertone tones that read too hardly as anti-Soviet-to-Soviet movie censors. And for quite some time Alita was, well, not, not exactly lost film, but perhaps forgotten film in in Western territories.
0: All right, so some propaganda and more fantasy for you.
1: Yeah, but um, I need that perhaps, at least in in our lineup today, it, it's teetering on on the breaking point between you know pro Martian or pro Mars and anti Mars movies. Uh, I already starts to exhibit the symptoms that they'll later films in the lineup, very heavily indoors, which is, you know, pro-Earth, pro-man, pro-human sentiment, but Aelita still is is ready to let Mars, at least in some terms, just be Mars. Like when when it comes to the, the more heavier colonialization, which is something that happens, in in Mars-related cinema, Aelita is, is still what it, it it's in the i would say middle ground. It's not so much that Mars itself is being colonialized, it's more that Mars as, as a system, as an institution, as a as a government or land is being colonialized. So there is, of course, keep keeping in tone with this being Soviet propaganda, it of course has, has the theme of Presenting the Martians a better way of life, presenting them a better system, but it it ca- kind of it ties itself into that. And at the end of the day, and this is ca- kind of a reason why it's hard to even talk about Aelita as as any kind of a you know Martian cinema, because the, the final twist of the movie is that none of it actually happened. It wasn't real. It's all all, all the Mars. Shit was just a daydream. God
2: damn it. Meaning
1: that also when it comes to the the ideological colonialization of Mars, that either didn't happen. Yeah, don't do that. Never do that
0: dream trick. All right. Would it be War of the Worlds from Sack?
2: Original one. So, like many people, I have known about the War of the Worlds mostly from the infamous broadcast from 1938, 1939. And, you know, there's the, at this point, I guess they're urban legends that people were committing suicide and jumping out of buildings uh, because they were so terrified that aliens actually were landing uh, in New Jersey. (laughs) Uh, I think those are probably apocryphal than real, but... Uh, That was sort of my understanding of the War of the Worlds, and of course I had seen the Spielberg-Tom Cruise version from 2005. But this was my first time watching the first film adaptation from 1953. And it's very 1953. It is very American cinema 1950s. The 1950s in America were this idyllic time post war war 2 this was the establishing of the middle class and everyone was buying houses and popping out babies and this was you know i guess you, if you you could find some people in america who would say that was when america was quote unquote great mm. and that they want to make america great again <clears throat> we're just going to ignore the fact that women didn't have a hell of a whole lot of rights, nor that black people or any particular people of color or any queer people. We're going to ignore all that and say that it was idyllic and it was perfect and beautiful. Um, uh,
1: per- perhaps that's precisely the reason why America was great. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, Hendrick? I think you might be right. I think that's why they love it then. Like, like, oh. I, I, I I I don't have a a degree in psychology but I I could believe that that's the that, that's the sentiment that that's the, the level of level of in intention and intelligence that we are riding here.
2: <laughs> so yeah, um so, so, it's, so it's interesting that this is the setting to take this uh this story which was originally written by H G Wells uh, at the Late part of the nineteenth century, um, where in the original story it, it takes place just outside of London at the end of the, at the end of the nineteenth century, and where this one is taking place in the middle of the twentieth century, uh, and it's taking place outside Los Angeles as opposed to London. It's interesting that, I- I'll tell you the most surprising thing. You, the, the couple that we meet, the, this man and woman, that are going to be sort of who we who we follow through this through this tale, uh, and we are supposed to care about them when they're in danger. It's the 1950s, so make some assumptions. So the man is the scientist, and then the woman gets introduced, and you'll never believe it. She has a master's degree in atomic and nuclear energy. Mm-hmm. She's an educated woman. That's right, she is Sasha Fierce. She is ready to come up there and and read you with her atomic knowledge. And I honestly was surprised. I couldn't believe that that was a thing for 1953, uh, that you had a woman with a master's degree in atomic energy. So I was like, okay, this film is going to be good. This is really ahead of its time. Well, that only lasted for another, like, four and a half minutes. And then for the rest of the film, she is literally a bawling uh, this crying ball of emotional mess who has to be coddled and held and don't worry dear everything will be fine and she just screams and hollers the rest of the time and serves coffee and danish to the soldiers that's it that's the end of her role truly a masterpiece it's a masterpiece <laughs> and master's decree put to good use <laughs> oh, I mean, serving that coffee in Danish, m- she did it masterfully with that master's degree. Oh, it was beautiful to watch. Uh, so, other than misogyny aside, um, it I think it hel- it holds pretty pretty close to the to the novel. Other than some obviously some of these changes in terms of setting, um, it's very science based. Um, there's a lot of scientific jargon being thrown around. Is isn't just Uh, like A Trip to Mars, the the first film we talked about, where it's just sort of like, oh, Mars is going to be sort of a cool place. Let's do this because it's going to be cool. Uh, There's a lot of science being talked about. They talk about the effect of gravity on the bodies of the aliens. They talk about how they probably have adapted with different senses, and they talk about uh, evolutionary theory and how evolution on on Mars must have... uh, Changed the way that they uh, have evolved to have different senses and how they perceive the world is going to be different than the way that we have evolved. So it's very sciency in that way, uh, which is then weird. Whenever later there's a priest that comes in and talks about how well if they're more advanced, that means they must be closer to the creator, um, and they all sing a hymn at the end of the at the end of the film, which is uh, it's an interesting dichotomy that sort of mix of hard science and religion at the same time. Right, uh, but that being said, it's. I think it is a. I think it's very much of its time. The nineteen fifties, when we were, we had now we had flight. Uh, we were had more advanced telescopes. We were seeing more of the planet Mars. Uh, we were sort of really getting into the science fiction era of filmmaking, and I think Mars was just the perfect way, to, to, to rally on that and to take a, a, a great book like War of the Worlds, and say, let's, let's make this into a film. You know, it's not the, it's not the greatest thing, but it's pretty, it's pretty iconic, I think, for today's time. Uh, I mean, it's, it's in the Criterion Collection now. Um, I think because of its truly groundbreaking effects for 1953, they're, they're, they're pretty solid for 1953. I was, I was quite impressed. All right. So yeah, that's War of the Worlds.
0: Well, the next one is not in the Criterion Collection but it's definitely some, something of its time. Let me present to you The Angry Red Planet from 1959. So it's a, it's a curious case. It's one of those cheap sci-fi films from the era before space exploration properly kicked in. But yeah, it's a color picture though with uh, only a 200k budget. They were able to do, do this and it apparently shoot it in nine days. And the director is again... A Danish, a Danish-born director, Ibn Melchior. Yeah, something like this. And so if this shooting schedule is really accurate, I'm quite impressed. There's a lot of set pieces and uh, a lot of special effects used. There's this technique called cinematic, which was used to create special effects on the Jeep, combining hand-drawn images and live-action footage. So so, a magic is just a fancy name for a cheap fat that kind of withered and died after a few years. So, but in the story we have like a Martian space flight that was supposed to reach Mars, but all the contact with the spacecraft is lost, and they presume that all the astronauts are dead. But later, the craft makes contact and is able to land safely back to Earth with the help of the mission control, and they land. With a landing rocket, before Elon Musk ever landed with a landing rocket. So two of the crew have survived and two have died. One survivor has some mysterious green shit on his hand, which causes an infection. And the other lady survivor serves as the storyteller, story of their journey. And yeah, they are giving her some kind of a vaccine (laughs) that makes her have a, well, total recall, to be frank. And they land on Mars, uh, she explains, and she got traumatized after what she she saw on the surface of Mars. There was a green Martian on the window, and she considered considered it being a quite ugly-looking creature. And I, I think that's racist, interplanetary racist levels who are you to scream in terror in front of a window when you're making the first contact with martian that's gonna who are you to define the beauty standards of martians or aliens
2: would that be i feel like that would be speciesist
0: right let's go with that <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's a mysterious force that surrounds their spacecraft so they are unable to lift off after seeing this terrifying green monster and. So they decide to finally explore the outdoors after sitting in the in the spacecraft for a long time after landing. I don't know why, nobody's even looking out of the window. Apparently Mars is not very interesting to them. But finally they go outside and there's a red tint, tint to the planet. Seriously red tint. Everything is, is red, blood red, because they're using this strong red uh, cinematic filter. So they explore and... And um, yeah, this tint, by the way, it was an arduous process. Now it's just something that we throw on in After Effects when doing our kind of first editing in, in After Effects or in, movie, in Windows Movie Maker. Not a big deal. But yeah, they meet some of the inhabitants of the planet. There's a carnivorous plant and a bat rat spider crab. <gasps> and he is as big as a house. It's like it, and then there is an amoeba, amoeba-like creature by the lake, in the lake, and the amoeba is about uh, hundred or thousand times the size of a human, and it also has spinning eyes, kind of reminiscent of of, <laughs> of a radar installation, and we get a glimpse of a city on the other side of the lake. They never reach that city. These seem to be high-rise buildings. So it's just left as a mystery what kind of inhabitants there would be. But yeah, they never get there because there's an uh, uh, aforementioned amoeba on their way. And they run into safety into the spacecraft. And the force field is now switched off somehow. And that's great because the aforementioned amoeba is consuming the spaceship around them. Or surrounding it with some goo. And... Then there's an audio tape <laughs> from the Martians uh, which have proceeded to speak English through radio to inform humans that if they ever return to the red planet, then the Earth would be destroyed as a, as a retaliation. All right, it was quite a ride. Uh, I yeah, this um, I feel that um, most depictions of Martian life really lack imagination. Uh, it's always Earth-like you
2: It's interesting you said you know they spoke English over the radio so something I I didn't touch on in 1953's War of the Worlds Uh, they do the same thing you know these aliens come out and you know these men walk over and they try to speak English to them Um, they also try to other very human customs like they try to wave a white flag to show that they're friendly and I don't know if that was intended to show oh yeah these guys are idiots or if it was oh no like this is this is what we would do if we encountered beings from another planet are we are were they intentionally being stupid or is that just how, how do we do think we can wave a white flag and that they'll understand that that, that custom means i'm friendly or i'm surrendering
0: yeah yeah, there's, there's a lot of misunderstandings uh, between Martian and Earth populations. I, I forgot to mention that in the 1918 film, the uh, A Trip to Mars, the, 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 the idiot humans have brought guns to Mars, and then they take as an aggression the approaching Martians, then they, then they shoot down one, and that's not enough, they also throw a grenade. Anyway, yeah, so crossbred creatures is popular, such as this Bat, Rat, Spider, Crab. But this monster was memorable to me, at least. Somebody made the, the kind of an effort to give it all of the details of this Bat, Rat, and Spider, and Crab. And that that was creative, Henrik, I, I give it to this B-movie. It is pretty freakish and features in some band's album cover as well. But the movie received mixed reviews. Regarding the space space suits. Uh, they are not kind of needed, or they, they are... They, they use the helmet, but it doesn't seem to be providing any kind of atmospheric protection f- for them. There's no glass that I could see, any visor or anything like that. These look like standard-issue motorcycle helmets, to be frank. And, and the person seems to be directly expo- exposed to the atmosphere, so they would be crushed by Mars' atm- atmosphere if, if this is the case. But, but of course, it's a movie, so it's a 1959 B-movie. Then there's a space laser that makes a beeping sound, but there's no beam that you could see. Very good for costs of the movie. Don't need to do any special effects on that, optical effects. Again, there's a group of idiots, uh, emotional people, flirty and very unfit for any kind of a space mission. And without any kind of knowledge of the surrounding land, they just don't, don't stay together. They just break the group up and then they go battling on the lake without knowing what's in the lake or what the lake is made of, if it would melt their little badly deadly boat. But it flows. But yeah, that's pretty much this B-movie. Well, I guess so. we're going to go visit Santa in Santa Claus Conquers the Martians from
2: 1964. Absolute gem, guys. Absolute gem. Do the Martians have chimneys that Santa goes down? Well,
0: we don't see the chimneys this is actually like an abduction mission They're <gasps> trying to kidnap Santa Claus. Oh yes. <gasps> mon Dieu So it's a heartfelt story of, of two kids who get kidnapped first by Martians who want some intel on the whereabouts of Santa Claus because of course on, on, there's an old and wise sage that has concluded on Mars that they could do a little bit more happiness in their lives, the Martian kids, and the master plan is then to kidnap Santa and take him to Mars to bring this happiness. And this is the first known appearance in f- on film of Mrs. Claus. Anyway, th- it's kind of a laughable, of course, to start to talk about science in a film that is for, that is kind of a kids comedy flick. But the Martians, if we're going to talk about them, they are depicted as guys who like green spandex suits and their faces are painted green. They look like humans and talk American English. And they have antenna hanging from their heads to communicate. And then the Martians land on the Earth, no, Earth's North Pole. And the kids try to escape the ship. But they run across a polar bear. I, I, guys, I love this. I, I got to again <laughs> hand it to the special effect. It was like almost as if you'd be there. The polar bear was terrifying. Let me just... Try and send you a picture, guys. I can't resist.
2: My body is ready.
1: Yep, seems like it's... Yep. Those things are quite regular in in Finland.
2: (laughs) Whoa, That's... the stuff of nightmares. I know. I mean, nightmares for a production artist. Like, wow. Right. I'm not sleeping tonight because of that.
0: Yeah, at that point that I thought that this is some kind of a super cheap TV movie of the time, but it doesn't seem to be even that. It had a pretty decent budget. and But yeah, uh, the Martians have a robot also that's used as an assassin or uh, for destroying the far- front door of Santa's workshop. But it's really the Santa Claus who steals the show here with laugh. This really fake laugh (laughs) at every situation. Stupid magic tricks. There's one moment where one Martian hates Santa Claus so much and the kids that they are locked into the airlock and he tries to throw them all into outer space. But there's a ventilation shaft and these Santa and the kids, they use the Santa magic to squeeze through that hole and get back to the ship before the airlock gets opened. And then they come back laughing about it, like it would have would have been nothing. Like, <laughs> you tried to kill us, but you're not not much for Santa Claus's magic. <laughs> and Mars is kind of shown in the similar way as in the angry angry red planet. The surface has dark dots, and they are connected to each other, as if they would be canals or something that people were thinking on the during the eighteenth uh, century. And then there is this. Um, Mar- one Martian is really into cosplaying as Santa Claus, or cross-dressing as Santa Claus, and then Santa, the real Santa, thinks that he could make a wonderful Martian Santa, ho, ho ho and he becomes the local Santa, and the kids and the Santa are taken back to Earth. Happy times. And yeah, well, this is a film that's regularly listed on the top 100 worst movies of all time. I'm really shocked and amazed that Henrik didn't take this Beautiful movie to his selection. Opportunity missed.
1: I have been somewhat aware of the film for quite some time, like I I would say for for at least ten years, and therefore, even though I I haven't checked it out myself, I, I was more than willing to let this one go this time and be like, yeah, I I can let somebody else see these new vistas and open these new doors.
0: Yeah, the the performances are quite hideous. Uh, The Child actors are, I guess, pretty okay and mostly quite boring. But when you think about it afterwards, yeah, it had some pretty funky elements going on. But when you watch it, it's like, yeah, extremely skippable. But it did become some kind of a staple on TV in the U.S. around 1991 for shits and giggles, I would say. Have you, do you know anything about this, Zach? it's this kind of a Christmas staple still?
2: Uh, no. <laughs> not, not at all. <laughs> would you call me?
1: Yeah, that you guys have like like yearly Christmas movie. So that, you know, which would, I would believe would make having a staple movie kind of hard because the lineup would change yearly and every every christmas you would have the new new newcomer that would be pushed heavily
2: yeah and i think everyone sort of got their own what is your favorite sort of classic christmas movie to watch every year mm-hmm. um i mean i would say probably the most popular is what's it called a christmas story yeah it's called a christmas story um it is from 1983 it's just a very sort of um You know, growing like it takes place in the '40s. You know, a nice, good old white family having their little middle class Christmas, and it's a classic. And they literally every Christmas they play it for on a loop for 24 hours (laughs) on some channel on TV. They will just play the movie over and over again for 24 hours. That's how much Americans love this this film. I don't like it. I'm not a big fan of it, (laughs) but it's very nostalgic. Uh, again, it's, it's very, uh, it goes back to the, a simpler time when America was great. Um, so it's, it's very that. Um, for me, I, if I'm going to watch a Christmas film, I might watch Chevy Chase in Christmas Vacation. Or I might watch uh, Die Hard 2, Iron Man 3. Those are better Christmas movies for me. Yeah, with Henrik,
0: we just go for Come and See. That's a true Christmas classic.
1: Uh, that and Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. Or that. Yeah, the film that actually does have Christmas in the title.
2: <laughs> what were the those two films?
0: Come and See.
2: I don't
1: know that film.
0: And Merry Christmas, Mr.
2: Lawrence. Um, I have a feeling these are <laughs> good for
1: the festivities. Good for the
2: festivities based on just the images that popped up.
1: Mr. Lawrence has a David Bowie in it, yep. so it, it, it's a cer- certain fit. Wow.
2: Good times.
0: But then pretty much came the radio silence of the Martian films. There was... The Viking wah, 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 Viking landings from 1976, two Viking landers. NASA landed Viking 1 and wi- Viking 2 on the surface of Mars and this gave us the first clear images from the surface of Mars, first showing some rocks and sand and then later the more kind of more of the vistas, the later the desolate, barren world with no vegetation or life that you could see. And this Crushed the public interest on Mars. There's at least anecdotal evidence that it also crushed some of the spirit of the mission crew regarding Mars. People were disappointed, understandably. No green aliens there. Or grey for that matter. No plants, no water on the surface. But, yeah, sure, nobody knew really what to expect until they landed. And the landers did do biological experiments to, to detect if there's any Martian alive in the soil, but the results were inconclusive. Some of the samples returned negative results and there was at least one sample that gave possible positive results, but the data had to be then re-examined over the years and the later missions have found evidence of occasional seasonal methane in the atmosphere. So this could indicate volcanic activity or microbial life as its waste product. But then the Phoenix lander found the perchlorate salts covering the Mars surface, which means that it can be dangerous for humans when ingested, and they could kill the surface bacteria when the perchlorates at least reach a certain temperature. So this is not too good news for life on Mars, but the jury is still out, nobody knows. We don't know if there's life on Mars or not. But yeah, after Vikings there was a long silence of Mars-related films, Mission Mars came out in 1968, and the next film that I'm aware of being released is 1986, Star Crystal. But yeah, what about this little film called Mission to Mars?
2: Mission to Mars. It came out in 2000. uh, With a pretty great cast. Tim Robbins and Gary Sinise, uh, Don Cheadle, great cast uh and this film had all the makings for oh this is going to be a good this is going to be a good mars film and it's it sort of just didn't work out (laughs) it came out in 2000 it actually takes place in june of 2020 at the start of the film but the majority of the film takes place in july of 2021 so what does the future look like gentlemen you might ask? What does 2000's version of 2020 and 2021 look like? Well, electric cars are the norm. Everyone has electric cars. And when you have a internal combustion engine gas-powered car, you're weird. You're different. If only that were true today. But it's not. Um, yeah, I mean, the film starts off as this film where you think, oh, this is about uh, us settling on Mars and becoming this multi-planet civilization. Uh, they've got these missions to go up there, and they've sent some astronauts up there to sort of create a, a, a home base. and, But when they get there, shit goes wrong. So now they got to send a second team to go and save them. So while it has all the... It has the setting of Mars, and it has uh, Mars sort of at the focus of it. It really is more of this sort of rescue mission film. And the majority of, I would say, the the film in the middle in Act 2 is just these people trying to get there, trying to save this person who's potentially stranded by themselves all alone on this planet. And then when they get there, then it just takes a hard left turn and it becomes this alien movie about, let's see if we can communicate with some aliens who we think were here at one time. Um, so the, the film's sort of all over the place. Um, it, it does put forth this idea that at, we actually are Martians, that at one point, billions of years ago, Martians essentially seeded the planet, seeded planet Earth. And so now we are part, we are part, Cousins to these, to these aliens, uh, to these Martians, and one of the astronauts has the opportunity to go with this, this alien onto uh, another galaxy. It's out there. It's really out there.
0: It's really out there. It has some gorgeous scenes, some some good scenes that mm. don't make any sense, but they're cool to look at. For example, when they have the problem at the spaceship, right, and then they have to go rescue this one guy who is starting to float <laughs> float uh, into the and drop into the Mars atmosphere and, and burn and then they have this funny rescue mission with this all these wires trying to save the guy's life but then he commits a suicide and takes his space helmet off
2: so can I say um, I actually cried during that scene <laughs> Really? Oh. Um, maybe I was having an emotional day maybe maybe I was just it was a, it was a hard day for me. But I, that actually that scene actually got to me because, yeah, because it's a husband and wife team, which by the way, NASA would never mm-hmm. let space missions be run by couples. You are threatening the entire dynamic of the team by having a couple up there., mm-hmm. um, but that's but they thought that I think they say something in there about how, oh no, this is supposed to uh, improve, you know, camaraderie and working together and more harmonious teams. Bitch, what you talking? It's going to make nothing but people like yell at each other because they all know each other. And then you're going to be in the middle of trying to figure out like, no, we got to restart the boosters. Do we start now? What, like like, the time with your mother's for Christmas when you forgot to fill up the car with gas? Like it just, you know, then it's going to turn into some sort of domestic disturbance. <laughs> domestic. Terrible idea. <laughs> Terrible idea.
0: Love that movie, Domestic Disturbance. I mean, in the sense that (laughs) it's like the the model depiction of how not to make a movie.
2: Mm. Indeed. But the scene when the husband basically has to kill himself in order to save his wife is his wife is so dead set on, oh, no, I know you're floating away, but I'm going to come and get you. I'm going to save you. And I'm going to risk my life to coming and getting you. And the husband knows, even if you got to me, you would not be able to save us both. You would not be, we would not be able to get back mm-hmm. to safety because I'm floating too far away. And his only option is to remove himself from the equation so that she doesn't have to consider him anymore. So he kills himself so that, well, now it's pointless for you to come all this way. Don't, you need to save yourself. I, I it, it hit me a bit, I'll admit it.
0: Yeah, and apparently there are like, Structures, alien structures of some sort that are inside a Martian mountainish, mountainous thing. And...
2: Oh, yeah. Okay, so here's some good shit. Okay, you guys are old enough to remember. Do you guys remember back in the mid to late 90s, in the infancy of the internet? And there are all those pictures of, have you seen the face on Mars? And there's this picture of what looks like a face. On on the planet, made it, it's and it's three dimensional. It's not like drawn into the ground, but it's like three dimensional. I remember it, and it was for for a long time, especially in those early days of the internet. It was just, oh, this is it. There's life on Mars. Someone like built this structure that looks like a face. And it, it, okay, no, it's an optical illusion. One because of the way the 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 mounds of dirt were with where the sun was at the time, creating shadows in just the right way. That's a part of it. And the other part of it is we humans, our our brains are Mm pattern-seeking machines. That's all our brains want to do is seek out patterns in the world so that we can recognize, oh, I've seen that pattern before. That is a sort of cylindrical, slightly bent yellow thing. That's a banana, and that means food. That's all we do is look for patterns, and so that's all our, our that's all this is is, it sort of looks like a face coincidentally in our brains. Like oh my god, it must be a face, and there must be intelligence behind it. So that was debunked years ago. This film says, oh no 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 no, it's real. That really is a face. And then when you take all the dirt off of it, yes, it is a giant structure of a white beaming like it's like, it's made of marble uh, face that's the size of a stadium.
0: Seems to me that it's making more fun of the whole face thing than anything else.
2: <laughs> maybe. but Maybe. Which, again, would sort of... That would go along with this whole... This film just takes a sharp left turn. And then, yeah, maybe it turned into something they were trying to make fun of. Who knows?
0: And this one guy uh, goes with goes with the Martian to... To their planet for some reason this one guy this alien was left on the planet just to wait for to deliver a message when they the humans arrive or something and they float away
2: apparently yeah and and he goes with them just because his wife died and he's sort of like well, i have nothing left on earth anymore and it's time for me to take the next step so i'm gonna go with this alien to god knows where all
0: right. Hopefully, somebody is paying his credit card bills then on Earth. But th- <laughs> this was a busy year for Martian movies. In two thousand, we also got the Red Planet movie. Or Henrik, do you still want to fill in something on Mission to Mars? Nope. Good. Red Planet. What is this about?
1: Well, Red Planet followed Mission to Mars with only like eighty-eight months. So it, it came very close to, you know, Brian De Palma's depiction of, of Mars travel. And much in the same way as, as Mission to Mars, Red Planet also finds itself kind of in, in a pivotal point of when it comes to American or Hollywood Martian cinema. Like, it's uh, th- these are kind of the films that have to not, now has to tackle with the fact that as a planet, In real life, with real data, with real science, Mars is a really boring place. And you kind of have to deal with the fact, what what can you really do with a a red rock where nothing can grow? And at the same time, this is also the point where there still is all that studio-mandated craze for the early 2000s CGI, which in in Red Planet showcases as, as money being essentially wasted in bunch of pretty horrible CGI effects that truly haven't hasn't stand the test of time.
0: Yeah, especially the monsters.
1: Um, more than that, actually, just spending money on on effects that would have been more easier and cheaper to do practically. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, there, there are CGI shots on camera lenses which have been modeled, 3D, 3D modeled, simply, simply in case of, you know, you have to have CGI in early 2000s sci-fi film. And something like a camera lens that would actually be much more cheaper and more pra- easier to do practically, where you can just take a goddamn camera and just, you know, have that do a little zoom move. You, you have those already lying around in your studio a lot so why not use that? And the answer is because of CCI.
0: Was that in the spaceship when in outer space or on the Mars surface?
1: It, it is at it is in in the outer space spaceship okay. when when Katie and Moss is trying to locate the, the survey team.
0: Well that explains it Henrik. you know you know that it's really hard to shoot a film in zero gravity basically.
1: Yeah, but it's not really hard to you know, operate, like automatically operate a camera lens in zero gravity. Those bastards do move in in any gravity.
0: I'd like to know that there is no such, such thing, though. That that as zero gravity, there's always gravity everywhere. But you know, for the for simplicity's sake.
2: Come on, scientific accuracy. Yeah. <laughs> You're right it's just, there's low gravity. Right. But really no zero gravity. You're always under the effect of gravity of something.
1: But in, in true Mars film fashion, uh, red planet does follow, follow the already established trend of of Mars at this point being nothing but but a frontier. Like yet another basically another place where you can have your wild west scenario in, in one way or the other. And this is something that really kind of seems to ap- appear a lot in, in American films, where there, there is this ca- almost desperate need to find a frontier from somewhere. And much in the same way as, as it was with Alita, in, in here Mars once again is something that you are to colonize. Uh, whereas Alita the colonialization was done through social, uh, social themes and social systems and and establishing another way of government where already one exists. Red Planet takes the road where the colonialization happens much more much more literally. To a point where the, the whole point of the movie is that humanity is trying to colonialize Mars. And when, when I mentioned that, Ayelita is kind of in the breaking point where Mars as a planet is still allowed to be Mars. Red Planet is the movie where that is most definitely like thrown out of the window. In Red Planet, Mars is to be Earth. Two essentially. There there is like in, in the film's lore there is this whole whole like like global initiative from all the countries to push money into this attempt to to send rockets that would have algae in them in order to have Mars covered in, in the sea of algae, with which aims to do the, the atmosphere principle. And also sustainable for human life. So in, in Red Planet, there is an intentional drive for humanity to actually move to Mars. And this is something that, well, these days is being echoed people like Elon Musk, who also wishes to someday reach this, reach this exact same point and on top of that red planet also showcases the the kind of social colonialism where the the whole where, where the idea is that what you are supposed to send to mars is whatever is the current depiction of acceptable society this is something that happens in in iorita 2 even to uh, even though to a lesser degree but red planet is all in in this in in this department to a point where actually the whole whole space mission behind behind red planet's narrative is actually com- completely unsustainable and is formed essentially by dysfunctional assholes where mm-hmm. a, a major uh, limelight for example is given to Val Gallagher who as a character is almost completely unlikable and someone who really couldn't operate a space mission let alone a colonialistic space mission but it's all allowed because once again this was done in in 2000 and keeping true the the idea of the american idea of early 2000 society it's supposed to be this this late 90s, kind of hereditary, ultra-cool society, where only the cool people get to do the cool shit. So, of course, Walla Kilmer, even though not being in any way... Physically or mentally capable of of pulling this ca- type of mission gets to, de- gets to go on to the super special Mars colonialization mission simply in the name of rule of the cool.
0: Isn't there even a jokey jokes on the ship discussing that, hey, well, we're, since we're going to be there all alone, shouldn't we just declare independence and, uh, you know, just take the, the U.S. out of the equation?
1: It's not even a joke. It's actually th- that that... It's hastily brought up and quickly dropped and never mentioned again, but the moment where the, where that idea is presented, the character presenting it is, actually does so sincerely. He really is considering that we should just, you know, drop the all the rest of humanity and just colonialize the planet for ourselves because we are the first ones there and therefore we are the... the Kind of right inheritors of Mars. And there's the, the second thing that immediately happens also to, to you know, play into the, the whole cool kids around thematics is, is Val Kilmer's character Gallagher hitting Kate Moss's character. And Kate Moss falling all over for Val, Val Kilmer to a point where When the film finally ends and the mission is semi-failure, there is a promise that the humanity will somehow at some point be saved through the space box that they found on Mars. But the colonialization of Mars itself is a lost cause. And they are shipping back to home. Kate Moss is going like, well, at least I have plenty of time to get no Waller Kilmer. The character who is completely obnoxious and uh with whom you share no common ground at all but but once again it's it's Kate Moss and it's Val Kilmer, so of course they are going to fall in love if with with each other uh Korean Moss, yeah right
0: uh so yeah, that kind of a film a uh, bunch of assholes are sent to Mars, and yeah there's this even this one scene where one guy is pushed down the canyon,
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: good team spirits and all. NASA at the top of their game. Uh, so there were a lot of movies from, about Mars during this time. There's Stranded from 2001. Are we going to move there? Let's do it. Let's do it. Now, this is one of those low-budget indie films, again, this time from Spain, but the spoken language is, is English. We're kind of hoping for to get more variety in the language department here, but no cigar. Uh, it's directed by Maria Lidon credited in the film as Luna in the English version. The quality of the animation is poor, but I'm okay with that. It's still early 2000s and they even used the leftover spaceship set pieces from Space Cowboys so that they could cut down the costs. We travel to the distant land, distant future, the year is 2020 and R.S. spacecraft crash lands on Mars. There's one astrona- astronaut that dies immediately upon impact, and there are five survivors that need to start conserving their supplies, oxygen, food, electricity, because the projected rescue mission for them would come in the next 26 months, after 26 months. The dead guys buried here, must be the first burial, in, in Mars, on Mars, the dead guy is buried under the Martian perchlorates. Well, even with the m- most limiting resource savings, they have air and other supplies for less than a year. So, one astronaut has already accept- accepted his fate. There are two, excuse me, three others who go out desperately looking for something in the Martian environment. But, yeah, the, the scenes of Mars, they were filmed in Lanzarote, which is part of the Canary Islands. And I, I will give you credit for this, credit where credit is due. This, this film has maybe the most convincing Mars landscapes that I've seen in these films. Well, that is to say, until, you know, 20 seconds later, when they had the long shot of the Martian land- landscape, which reveals like steep canyons and clouds, and again steep elevation they they really have a problem of hiding the the earth clouds here and they have like the common thing with these goddamn films is that they have a lot of these steep canyons and places that look like death valley or arizona desert they don't even try to hide that fact there are not not such steep features on mars but Is this maybe to say that the the, the real Mars is too boring for the filmmakers? Could it be? Because the majestic landscape long shots, they seem to crave for those. And we have a lot of aggressively steep terrain in this mission to Mars and uh, the last days on Mars and the Martian even.
2: I don't know. I think maybe part of it might be... Well, I mean, obviously, they're filming on Earth, and so (laughs) it would cost more money to, you know, digitally change landscapes. But I wonder if there's also this idea of... I mean, Mars and Earth are brother planets. You know, Mars is like the older brother. So both planets are about the same age. They have roughly the same sort of interior uh, uh, makeup. So... I don't know. Maybe there is something to be said of, yeah, like this basically is just like Arizona or the southwest of the United States or uh, parts of the Middle East where it's this sort of reddish sand rock area. Uh, I don't know. Maybe they're going for something there. Who knows? Or it could just be laziness by all means. Could be, could be. Yeah,
0: it goes a little bit more, more bonkers here. Uh, they find an underground tunnel well there could be who knows i haven't been on mars but it has this kind of an earth-like pressure in this underground tunnel and oxygen to breathe so it's doing the same thing as in uh, red planet where they take they, they they take their masks off because there's oxygen
2: and what happens that's in... such a that's such a standard trope you know we're gonna take our helmets off and oh my gosh look we can we can breathe. Like, even if the atmosphere was made of, first of all, it's mostly nitrogen and then oxygen. But even if it were made up of nitrogen and oxygen and all the things that we need, um, there's a little thing called microbial life and or other organisms that you could be breathing in. I mean, just because the air is clean doesn't mean it's safe to breathe.
1: Yeah, but you're forgetting that the rule of the cool makes it safe.
2: Yeah. Okay. That is true.
0: In The Red Planet, the excuse was that they were terraforming the planet already to such a degree that it, in what, like higher altitudes, you could breathe. <laughs> and of course, there's no space radiation or any of those things.
1: Yeah, and in Richard Scott's films, the common excuse is that nobody gives a shit.
0: <laughs> and, but in this movie's case, Stranded 2001, the excuse is that there's like an alien-built chamber where apparently this oxygen... And uh, uh, pressure technology is still working. Mm, they find uh, like the, the, the bodies of hundreds of aliens that look like a cross again between a human and a gray alien. And then the labyrinth is crisscrossing and leads our protagonist lady to do an area in Mars outdoors where you can breathe as well within this kind of a frame structure that the aliens have built. There's some kind of a magical wall that holds the oxygen and pressure, I guess, intact. Yeah. And there are animals, there's water to drink, <laughs> and the movie then proceeds to go to the end credits where after after showing, of course, the last camera footages that they, they had battery for. So it essentially turns into a found footage film for the last two minutes of the film. And the final voiceover goes, quote, our only objective now is to survive, end quote. Yeah, like exactly what you've been doing for the entire entire film. But that's the closing thoughts of the film, basically. Wow. Well, I can grant the director and the writers that this could also be some kind of a poetic symbolism for hallucinations when running out of oxygen. I I prefer that theory than thinking that there's an oxygen and oxygen uh, including and pressurized chamber on Mars. That or they did speed on Mars. There's a lot of uh, unnatural language could be related to the fact that this is a Spanish production, but the the English is a little bit crazy. I mean, even more unnatural language than you hear on the flick lab. For example, the lady astronaut who notions in the pressurized corridors that... about this mummified alien corpse, quote, Two arms, two legs, it all seems pretty human. But who knows what it looked like originally? End quote. Originally? Zach, would you use the word
2: originally in this case? <laughs> if you're looking at a mummified corpse. Uh I mean you could. You could I wonder what it looked like originally. I think I think I would say I wonder what it looked like when it was alive.
0: Mm, yeah, something like that. Or you could say, uh, but who knows what it looked like in its Prime,
2: yeah, in its prime when it was alive. I wonder what it looked like back then. I wonder what it looked like and it's in its in another state. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of. Originally is, I mean, you you could say that, and it makes sense. And I would, I understand. I mean, I understood what you said, but it's just not the most natural word, I guess. I would say, right.
0: All right. So what's next? War with the Worlds,
2: two thousand five. Uh... Arguably, I mean, I got I got it easy on this one because this is arguably the, the one of the more popular, if not the most popular film that involves Martians. So this is a, you know a standard remake of the 1953 version, uh, and a standard adaptation of the original novel. Uh, except this one's much better. Uh, this one's far better uh, on on multiple multiple angles. Obviously, the special effects are better, because we've gotten 50 years worth of technological improvements to, to make it better, but beyond that, um, this version actually has some character development. It makes you sort of care about who these people are a bit. Instead of just sort of following this this couple, this man and this woman, who eventually will only serve you Danish and coffee because she's crying too hard. Uh, Now you've got a father trying to care for his two children. Uh, So it sort of, it ups the stakes, uh, because it's no longer just two people who met, but now it's a father trying to do his fatherly duty. And his children are both, I mean, they're children. One of them is very young, and the other one's sort of a rebellious teenager. But yeah, I think this is it's it's much much better. Uh, Mars in this film is portrayed much more menacing. This is definitely a a film where the Martians are the bad guy, uh, and they are here just to take over. Uh, this is in no way could be interpreted as a, oh, but they came and they wanted to see how it was, and because we attacked them, they fought back. No, no, they they are here to attack. And in fact, one of the biggest changes to the film, as compared to the the 1953 version, is they don't land on Earth. Their spaceships don't land on Earth, which in 1953 what they say is it looks like those are comets or meteors coming down uh, when really it's their spaceships. Uh, In this case, the spaceships have been here for thousands, tens of thousands potentially of years underground, buried. And it's just the Martians themselves that come and get into the spaceships and then, you know, then take over. So, yeah, this, this one's far better, far better. And they are here to take over and to turn this planet into, into another Mars, into one that they can live on, which is interesting because, like you mentioned in the beginning of this, Kari, the reason that Mars appears red. Is the oxidation of the iron that's in the that's on the, in the soil? Mm. This film has this <laughs> this conceit that oh no, no, it's actually red because the aliens, whenever they are going about doing their thing, they produce these red vines that sort of look like veins uh, that are filled with uh, filled with liquid, and that's how they sort of pr- produce their vegetation and how they sort of survive, uh, and they look like red vines, and that is really what is covering the planet Mars. So that's a bit, you know, fantastical, because we know that vines are not covering the the, the planet. Uh, we know that it's because of oxidation. I stand corrected. So, <laughs> so that's uh, an interesting idea, and I think it's definitely more menacing, because the first shot that you get of uh it's tom cruise sort of looking out the window and he sees the the field that's next to him covered in uh in these red vines and it's you sort of realize oh this is what makes the planet red they're trying to do the same thing to us um that's that's cool that that's interesting and of course i'm a big fan of any movie that uh they say takes place in boston uh which at the end of this film they say takes place in boston it was definitely not shot in boston but you know, it's always nice to get a little Boston representation. Whoop whoop.
0: Yeah, kind of like we say at least in Finland. Like rough games in Boston. All oh, right. I love
2: that you have that
1: phrase. That's
2: awesome. <laughs> so bizarre.
1: Well, there are rough games afoot. Uh, to be honest, most likely only Kari. Kari is most likely the only per- person using it.
0: And uh, people who follow ice hockey, I found, somehow.
1: We do have
2: a good hockey team.
0: Oh, you do? Yes, yes. I hopefully it's still doing as well as it was twenty years ago. I haven't been following an NHL too much lately.
2: I I don't follow it at all. I just I people tell me that we have a good hockey team, and I go, oh, we do? Oh, that's cool. That settles it.
0: (laughs) Anything else about the War of the Worlds?
2: Uh, this is really the Spielberg Cruise heyday. This 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 era, because Minority Report also came out around this time. This was when Spielberg was really pushing the science fiction part of his of his filmography and I got to say I live for it. And little Dakota Fanning, who had been spinning some other things before this, but I think this was her her big entree onto the, the national stage. Oh yeah. She is a talented little girl. She's incredible in this film for being you know 10 11 years old however old she is she is asked to do a ton of stuff not only physicality like you know having to you know you're running and you're jumping you're swimming you're jumping off boats and you're doing all this crazy physical stuff um but emotionally she is asked to do a ton of lifting in this film and she lifts it masterfully very 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 well done
0: yeah, one of those child-acting geniuses, I would say. Kind of like the, the kid in the ring. I forgot his name, unfortunately.
2: Yeah, just, you're right. There's Every now and then there comes a child actor who just, there's something different about them. They just, they're in tuned with their 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 bodies and their emotions and their brain. Like, they're, they're, they're just operating on a different level. And Dakota Fanning is one of them.
0: The Last Days on Mars, next on the menu from 2013. And once again, I'm with the low-budget Mars film. <clears throat> there's a lot of those. To be fair. There's the Irish Ruairi Robinson, who loses his feature film director virginity with this one. Uh, Everything starts out promising visually. Uh, The film is uh, a pleasure to look at, the coloring and the landscape shots are pretty. I'm not sure how accurate the coloring is ever when it comes to Mars, as when you get the real images from Mars they require this special processing tweaking that the that the colors can be seen there and may not be exactly what you'd yourself see on Mars surface with your own, with your own eyes. So the landscape looks like a lot like Arizona again to me, without ha- ever having visiti- vis- visited Arizona, I would think that's the case. The, the film was filmed in Jordan though, and the local vegetation was removed digitally. So here we have a landfall on Mars for unknown reasons and it sucks one of the astronauts into the void. And when they start to investigate that little hole, there's alligator type of substance on the rocky features revealed under the surface. So presumably, this is what this guy gets infected with at the bottom of this hole, and he re-emerges, yeah. Yeah, I came to expect that this would be like a virus that would infect the crew. It is but sadly this is uh, very shortly becoming it, it very soon transforms into mars of the living dead so anyone who comes in contact with the virus this makes the astronauts one by one into zombified killer maniacs uh, this might be the most idiotic crew just yet depicted on the screen they deliberately pick fights with each other extremely um, deliberately and make irreparable damage to themselves with insults that lack all empathy towards their dead comrade for example well it could be said about the director that the that his aim was to create an alien like film based on Mars <laughs> and so all these all these themes about the crew having to fight some kind of a, unknown pathogen or virus and terrifying force which compromises them and they're in a compromising and claustrophobic phobic environment that well, that part is okay with me but then the idea of zombies and on Mars it's it's quite cliche it's not too imaginative right you just combine zombies on Mars that's what it is and it's quite easy to lose interest with the rest of the film it goes into this let's escape from the zombies film so it's kind of unable to bring anything too new in its elements to the zombie survival genre so the acting is one of the strongest suits of the film and we have leave schreiber here i used to intentionally skip movies that have leave schreiber in them because i couldn't stand the dude but i have to give it to the guy yeah i have to give it to the guy he has come a long way since the scream days i kind of enjoyed his performance oh,
2: Scream. <laughs> that's good stuff I love those I love those movies uh, Leo Shriver is definitely he, he he takes some getting used to
0: yeah yeah there's something about the dude but this was fun and the the the, the props for the vi- visual aesthetics that's that's all nice but we've seen this before, which is not usually... I try to avoid this as an argument for films, but we've definitely seen this before. And the promising structure of the beginning moves into this let's run from the zombies. And that's about it. Uh, There's a Rotten Tomatoes consensus for the movie, which goes, quote, neither intelligent enough to work as a thought-provoking sci-fi nor trashy enough to provide the B-movie thrills. The last days on Mars proves as cinematically barren as the titular planet. End quote. Rough. Rough, rough. Oof. I agree with the message to a degree, but I don't know if it's fair to say that Mars is cinematically barren.
2: I think we're proving that uh, proving that it's not barren today.
0: Yeah. That's all my thoughts on this film. Moving on to The Martian from 2015.
1: Yeah, so The Martian perhaps is the best best example and best case of of for the argument that Mars is cinematically barren. The Martian is is extremely heavy, extremely realistic sci-fi, which means that that you, Gary, you absolutely would love this film. And for all the rest of us, that means that it's the film that has the epic moment when Matt Damon farms some potatoes and drives around in a rover and, and finds a location on, 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 on ground and digs some shit up. Yeah, this
0: is, let's stop here because this is a really important point. Like when I first saw the film, before I had I know, more information on, on the planet Mars and how it works. This felt like a pretty boring movie, to be honest. But, yeah, it's, it's quite useful to have the, the kind of a backdrop or the understanding of about uh, on some kind of a layman level, level of the planet Mars to enjoy this movie to the fullest. And even then, this growing potatoes on Mars will have problems and, well, at least health consequences to anyone who eats those. Potatoes because of the perchlorates, But I digress.
1: Yeah. I'm not entirely certain exactly how much even even having the, the basic understanding of uh, un- understandment of the of the planet actually helps with the Martian. To be clear, I'm not in in the camp that felt that the Martian was boring. I. I did quite enjoy the film. But the underlying fact is that. While it's easy to criticize basically all the other depictions of of Mars or or Martian cinema on the grounds that it's too fantastical and it's obvious that no real science is is behind those depictions of the red planet, the Martian makes it perfectly clear exactly why perhaps you have to lean into more more fantastical. as, As the Martian puts it out... If you stay true to the hard science, there kind of is just one story that you can tell. Survival? And that's how you form some goddamn potatoes. (laughs) Because there really is nothing else on goddamn Mars that you can do to fill up your two-hour film. You have to be stranded, and it has to be a fight for survival in an environment where, okay, the the atmosphere and the, the temperature... Certainly, are something that easily can kill you. But if you can avoid those, then your biggest obstacle would be, as Matt Damon puts it out, the food, and the water. And once you got those covered, basically, basically, your your biggest obstacles on on the surface of Mars have just been dealt with. You have the means to stay alive, meaning that you can now sustain yourself on Mars. And then you get to the second obstacle, which is that Matt Damon has to get back home because that's the tagline of the movie poster. <laughs> and when it comes to the film, I, I, it, it's easy to see what Ridley Scott kind of was aiming at with the Martian. The Martian unfortunately, is the case where Ridley Scott made the film after the the suicide of of his his director brother, not as well-known Tony Scott. So with that, the kind of meditation on loneliness and the meditation on feeling of, of being left behind or feelings of abandonment are ki- quite clear on the martian
0: yeah was it was it the, the martian the kind of a project that he took on to to kind of has have, have something else to think about
1: than his dead brother i i'm not interested certain uh, i don't know so know for certain if if the driving motive to do be, behind doing the Martian was to, you know, have something else, take your time so that you wouldn't have to have to think about your brother. But that's an argument that I can very easily believe. Knowing what happened like like in, in, in Scott's private life outside of the film and and seeing the film itself. Kind of more saddening though is the fact that The Martian unfortunately also is is the film in Ridley Scott's filmography that lands weirdly enough in the middle of of Ridley trying to figure out should the fucking helmet stay on when you are on on a foreign planet or should it not? Like this, this is. The Martian is exactly between. Prometheus and Alien Covenant, the other two Ridley Scott sci-fi epics that both feature per- 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 the characters that make the exact same logical, uh, the, the logic mistake that was done in, in Stranded and in Red Planet, where they quickly just deduce that yeah, 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 that was peer- peer is is breathable, and remove helmet. At least in The Martian, the helmet stays on. Right. <laughs> Outside of Matt Damon growing potatoes, you kind of have the Apollo thirteen esque second plot, which is the NASA trying to figure out how exactly bring the one person home, or how to how to salvage the mission. And on on those terms, the Martian kind of stays very close to to Apollo 13 with the added caveat that in, in the Martian NASA at least provides, while not outright a villain or antagonist, at least some kind of an opposing force to to the, the salvage saving attempt or ideas.
0: Yes, yeah, a really nice, nice point, point that you brought up that it's really hard to make in the end of the day it's at the end of the day it's pretty hard to make a workable movie about Mars because there's nothing there like, not not really I mean that the most that you can do is kind of the soap opera on Mars, which then leads to stupid scenes like dropping somebody down a canyon but that it it best follows the science science here about Mars out of all of this it movies. does
1: it does but um, that that is both that is both a blessing and a curse kind of depending on exactly how much you demand or how much you value the hard science in your sci-fi film
0: uh, well the, the, the guy who wrote the book was clearly some kind of a nerd who sci-fi nerd who enjoyed to write pretty detailed depictions of how the events would go on on mars for him
1: yeah, he he most definitely is, and when when it comes to Scott's film, I would actually and Scott staying uh, staying true to to actual science and a realistic scenario, I would actually credit that more to the original novel than than to Sir Ridley himself.
2: My question is, but is the film funny? Uh, and I asked that in <laughs> I asked that in jest, but also because it caused some controversy at the Golden Globes that year because it was nominated for Best Picture, Musical or Comedy, and a lot of people had a lot of things to say about that.
0: <laughs> well, it's it's a funny movie, right, Henrik? Um, it has kind of the same humor that you have in in the novel. The novel I really couldn't get into because it has even more of this type of 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 this type of humor and like how to how to describe it i don't remember any direct quotes or anything but like he's going through the the music tapes from the colleagues that left the planet and he's just going through over and over and over again those tapes and it's reaping a lot of hu- humor from that kind of events and being alone on mars and it's just it's kind of like it's just yeah it's just a, that doesn't work for me it's i had to stop reading the book to be honest
1: I don't know about funny, like, as a defining attribute. No. Uh, the Martian does have, have fun moments, and it, it does have a certain lightness in the way how, it, uh, how its main character tackles the obstacle that he faces. Like there, there is there is most definitely there are jokes in in the Martian, there uh, are funny moments in the Martian, and uh, there is something I would almost say refreshing in the way how how Matt Damon kind of faces the situation that he has this this a certain type of tonal lightness in the, what is going on. While he also understands the gravitas of the situation, so it is like I am in this this I de- I am in this do or die situation, but I'm not just going to mope about it, and that is is seeing how this is over to our film that is hugely appreciated, but at the same time to, to say that this is a comedy. Or that this is a funny film. I would say. It's it's more like. A comedy written by a former. Computer programmer. Directed by a guy. Who just lost his brother.
0: Yeah. what, Why, why do you actually pr- bring it up? Do you think it, the kind of film. Was suffering. Due to that.
1: No. I, I don't think it's suffering due to that. But I do think that you actually very clearly can see it in the film
0: mm-hmm. but to, to come uh, back into the point that it's quite hard to make like, good movies about mars i felt that this was the kind of a, the master show of of making a film about mars in the way that in the way that you can make it interesting and exciting being on mars while you grow potatoes i think that was a that just kind of a more funny thing than anything else Carrying on the potato joke, this many potatoes left, and oh, I'm gonna have potato now with what? K- ketchup or whatever. And kind of the daily challenges of the situation. It was able to carry the film through with just Matt Damon on Mars and an occasional shots back at Earth and what's happening there.
1: Yeah, but what uh, uh, like you mentioned, the Magic World is able to carry through the film. And that kind of is is perhaps the, the the biggest praise and also the biggest condemnment that you can give the Martian or not 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 the Martian itself, but the possibility of you doing another really hard sci-fi take on Mars as a planet. To me, the Martian stands as a sho- showcase that. Uh, This is a film that you can do pretty much just once. Or, you know, maybe you can have a second go after 10 or 20 years. But you can't really tell this story that many times if you are still gonna, you know, stay true to to your story being hard sci-fi. There's only so many ways that you can make growing potatoes interesting
0: it depends though we're we've seen some interesting blood elements that could be recycled in a proper good movie like the colonization of mars terraforming of mars finding something weird on mars
1: i would say not really no
0: or maybe the challenges of the perchlorates or something getting pretty sciency but but that as a like the, the, the survival or, or the, the well-being of the of the colony on Mars? What would be the daily challenges? And
1: I, I would say the daily challenges would be that it's impossible. Like, like the whole point of colonializing Mars, like really colonializing it, once again, in my opinion, leads heavily into the fantastical. It it le- leans into the whole... Well, red planet scenario, we somehow managed to, you know, make this farmable and sustainable for a large number of people. And once once you break that barrier, well, yeah, then you can try to have your human drama with some type of a space colony on Mars. But (laughs) as as Matt Damon kind of proves it, you can't really have a colony on Mars. You can perhaps have Matt Damon on Mars.
0: Well, the colonization or the colony on Mars is for sure going to happen. Um, I don't know if we still have you know, the proper technology. Obviously not, because we are not there, so we can't know and we need to test it also on site. The, the, the question that I think is more important here is, is are we going to stay on Mars? And I think the answer is no, at, at least not in any near future un, until we get to some kind of a gene therapy where we start to create humans who are more uh, able to live in the conditions of Mars.
1: I really don't see colonialization of Mars as any kind of a certain deal. I do know that that certain figureheads wa- really want to push the idea these days, but, well, well uh, like, like, as the Martian showcases the Mars really is a shithole planet it's really an absolute hellhole you shouldn't go there yeah and even even when it comes to you know you want to colonialize a piece of rock that really does not want you around well you know you know just colonialize the moon it's closer
0: yeah but though it's it's not really it's way less fit for humans i mean both are complete hellholes but at least Mars has some atmosphere, and you could potentially, maybe, down the line, terraform it with better technology than we have. But I, I think, yeah, the most yeah,
1: not gonna, not gonna happen. Probably humanity will will extinguish itself before we even even could have any kind of idea how to colonize anything like Mars. But
0: well, probably that's the, I'm, you know, just the existence of. Nuclear bombs is a bit of a problem for our species, but we have to be a multi-planetary species. Because no, we don't.
1: Yeah, we have. No, we don't.
0: Yeah, if we if we we, t- we, we
1: could just try to fix the one planet that we have, except that's impossible for us.
0: Yeah, but Henrik, we are going to take this on a larger timeline. Of course, this is to assume that the human race is going to be the human race or in existence in any form in the next uh, couple of. What billion years? When the when the sun will expand and come into the red giant phase when when the whole Earth is gonna be vaporized and destroyed, probably. At least it's gonna be just a hellhole. So at that point our only chance of survival is either Mars or then maybe we have such of a crazy technology at that point that we can exit the solar system. But Mars, yeah, we have to go there.
1: No we don't. Mars is a bust. It absolutely is. If if you wanna like like really believe in in magic solutions and in in somehow, you know we we have to escape the earth to save, in order to, 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 to survive as a species. Right. I, I would say, you know, yeah, you know, put put your money on the the uh, uh, you know space travel and you I I don't know. Put put your money on goddamn Star Trek or Babylon Five. That you that you just you know launch ten space stations somewhere far away from Earth, and you know you live there in
0: zero gravity or near zero gravity.
1: But well, whatever I would say, both cases are actually more more easily to achieve than than you terraforming mars
0: yeah well it's, I would say it's, it's safer on mars than being being floating in outer space with all the where you have zero protection from the radiation whereas on mars you could also build it's, you know tunnels it, caverns
1: it, it, it's the case where you manage to terraform the mars and you manage to actually actually like have a field where you can farm your crops for your colony and mm-hmm. then the first cold night comes in, and all your crops die, and you're gonna fucking starve to death.
0: Well, we gotta solve those problems. <laughs> we gotta do yeah, this. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Oh, 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 of course, yeah. Yeah. Let's change the whole planet. I I don't know. Let's let's shoot algae at Mars. That's gonna fix it. No more cold wind, cold nights in Mars. Yeah. Or but... if you have a really good heating system, like like honestly honestly even zero gravity space station is is more suitable and more kind of kind of achievable than than you terraforming the planet mars
0: yeah there are actually real people real organizations who are working day and night to solve these problems that we could do it in the in the future you you crack jokes at it now But, you know, as history has shown us, you you don't necessarily shouldn't do that because then it's going to bite you in the ass.
1: There are are real people, there are real organizations that believe that we are descendants of an alien race whose forefathers were trapped inside of a volcano by another alien race. I perhaps, as history has shown, shouldn't crack jokes about these people.
0: Apples and oranges, Henrik. And let's change from apples and oranges to, to eggs. Would you hold all of your eggs in the in the same basket? No, this is a I think this is like the very simple and effective and important analogy. We can't have our species on one planet. We have to be multiplanetary to save our asses. If yeah, you ever so, want to so, save so, our asses. So
1: so start the space program and build build those goddamn space stations.
0: And lose your bone density and whatever. Well, unless we create ar- well, well, artificial well, gravity, but you, that's you want more. You you only lose
1: your bone density in in that situation. In in Mars, you starve to death. In in space station, you at least, as a last resort, you can try cannibalism and inbreeding.
0: <laughs> what's the in di-
1: in Mars?
0: What what's the difference though? You habit- you,
1: you, you forgot yourself outside <laughs> for the night, well, and you died.
0: Just, just asking. What What's the difference really to have indoor environment on Mars or on a space station? Except that you have some gravity on Mars.
1: You you can you can breathe without spacesuit and some type of extra external source of oxygen. Oxygen.
0: Yeah, just like on Mars.
1: Well, you can't really.
0: And it's been also tested that you can produce oxygen on Mars. So, this is good news.
1: Uh, that they. Uh... That the whole magic argument once again is produce. Mm. Mars itself does not have oxygen. Yeah, not, uh, not readily available at least. By, you have uh, to produce it.
0: Exactly, it's a chemical process that the yeah per- perse- Percy Perseverance was able to do this.
1: Which once again leads into the problem that you have. You need to have. Machinery to produce oxygen in an environment where basically everything in that environment tries to shit, uh, to destroy your machinery.
0: Let's agree that space, space is hazardous and always trying to kill you.
1: Well, yeah. So don't go there. God damn it. <laughs> all, all, all space films have, have proven to you that you shouldn't go into space. It's
0: the human spirit we must explore. That's how we are built. You know, it's
1: it it it's also human spirit that you must you know stick your dick inside into a pencil sharpener, and uh, that Darwin awards were created, and rape, because and of human spirit,
0: rape and loot and destroy.
1: And yeah, precisely. So <laughs> no, no, I I wouldn't I wouldn't trust any kind of a you know achievement of terraforming mars especially mars of all goddamn planets to to humanity
0: this this guy robert zubrin that we uh, pathetically well we tried to get to get the guy to the show that this is a guy who has kind of committed his life to the the human missions on mars
1: and and most likely will die without ever seeing anything come from it
0: well, okay, we have one more movie to go. Is Zach wanting to
2: throw something? Uh, I'm, I'm I'm gonna side with Hendrik. <laughs> really? I yeah. don't think I, I, I don't think that we should be spending our time, money, and energy figuring out how we can make another planet, one on which uh, life as as far as we know it, has never evolved. All life that we can name, and can't name um, has evolved on this planet on this planet's uh, atmosphere and composition earth life is made for earth and i think to try and move that to another planet with a completely different uh, environment i don't know how well that would go and if if it were possible to do that the amount of work it would take to do that I think we can take all that time and energy that we're spending on trying to terraform Mars and spend it to terraform Earth. I don't know if it's still called terraforming, if you're doing it to Earth, but um, we have fucked this planet over so poorly that we're eventually going to destroy it. And then we're going to say, oh, you know what? Let's go to Mars and let's live there. And it's going to be so much better. And then we're going to fuck Mars as well. No lube. It's just going to be a real dry fuck. It's going to be really terrible. Um, because that's the way humans are. I don't even, this is cynical, I'm putting it out there, very cynical. I don't think we as a species deserve to be a multiplanetary species because we are like a horde of vultures or locusts that come in, rape, pillage, and destroy everything we touch. If we as a species can get better as a species and can maybe get closer to that Star Trek sort of place where we move beyond material goods, we have enough resources for everyone and everyone gets what they need and we really then want to seek out other places for the purity of exploration, that's great. I'm all for that. But as a, oh, but we need a backup plan because we fucked this planet so bad, we need somewhere else to go. No, we don't deserve that, and we deserve to just die as a species, if that's what it means. Just to be very cynical. Sorry, just. To be I I must cl- say
1: that even even Carl Sagan couldn't have said it better.
0: Just to be clear, when you're when you're wow before we close this massive tangent, um, when when we when we we are talking about colonization, I'm, I'm talking about like people who go there and then come back to planet Earth in some distant future. I think are are you saying that that. It's not going to happen, that we're not going to have a base even there for a few people?
2: Oh, I, I, my, my issue is not of whether or not it will happen, but whether it should happen. I don't think it should. I think, yeah, we probably could set up a base there, but it would be very limited, small group of people. Mm. It would definitely not be any sort of species migration by any stretch yeah. of the imagination. Not at this time, at least, no.
1: Yeah, it, no, it, it no. would be at best case scenario. Even in future, it would be Matt Damon and five of his friends.
2: <sighs> Probably Ben Affleck.
1: Funded by NASA. All right. I'm, um, I'm, to,
2: yeah. to to wrap that up, I was just gonna say, have you guys seen that Time Magazine did this piece about how much it would cost to rescue Matt Damon's characters? <laughs> so Matt Damon has has been rescued from Mars and, and Interstellar and Saving Private Ryan and Syriana and Green Zone and Elysium and Courage Under Fire Jeez. and they and they got they asked experts what would it actually cost to save Matt Damon in all of these films and they totaled it all up it would equal almost a trillion dollars. Mm-hmm. To save Matt Damon, so
1: he he's just a guy who just can't take care of himself. He he's got to stay home. Like we need to get him like a home health
2: nurse. <laughs> let's put him in a really nice country with socialized medicine, where a home health nurse will come to his home every day and take care of him and buy his groceries. And let's just, he, he he needs to take take it easy, take a rest, Matt Damon, take a rest.
1: Yeah. But but Zach 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 Zach, as as the film proves, the act of bringing Matt Damon home is something that brings the entire humanity together.
2: I think I'm going to cry now. <laughs> Alright, I guess
0: we still have one movie to go.
2: Oh, and that's me. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, our final movie. The Space Between Us. Uh, 2017. I would say that this is probably similar to The Martian, in which it's pr- it is closer to more scientifically mm-hmm. accurate, in terms of what would it be like to... Uh, live on a colony in Mars for an extended period of time. Uh, in this case, uh, the main character, played by Ozza Butterfield, his mother is unknowingly pregnant with him when she gets on the rocket to head to Mars. She finds out she's pregnant en route to Mars, because it takes several months, and when she gets there, she gives birth to him there on Mars. Uh, so he this is a this is a child who was born on a planet with different gravity and because of that he does have this sort of well I mean he's played by Ozzy Butterfield which anyone who knows he's very tall and lanky so he you know at some point he decides because he's 16 and he's you know an angsty teenager and his mother died sadly giving birth to him and and now uh he wants to go home and be with his father who he has no idea who that is but he wants to go on this journey to find himself and his father and along the way he meets a girl and who helps him out and you know it's a nice little coming of age young romance sort of film with a Martian <laughs> with with a Martian that being said i don't think that mars really Uh, holds any sort of special place in the film. I mean, really, I think Mars is sort of just a... It's sort of a placeholder for, I think, any sort of of fish-out-of-water story. Uh, I mean, in this case, it really only acts as a motivator for... uh, He's on a time crunch. His body is not used to Earth, and his body starts uh, experiencing certain uh, side effects to this prolonged exposure to Earth's environment. And that sort of creates uh, just pressure of you have to you got to get to the end of the journey quickly so that you can you, so that you'll make it. But other than that, uh, I mean, I don't think it really serves much of a purpose. It really could just be any sort of uh, kid from another country coming to to America, or a kid from another culture who speaks a different language. I think it could really sort of be anything like that. But they just chose Mars for this. But props for the scientific accuracy. You know, it's it's not like I said, there's nothing really martiany about it. Even his ectomorphic sort of stature, this very tall, lanky sort of thing, he's not even he's not taller or lankier than a human because he's played by a human. He's played by of Butterfield, who is not wearing any prosthetics. There's no digital trickery to make him appear taller or lankier than he is. Is that true? Um, so huh. Oh no. Oh, is I he think- made to look taller and lankier?
0: I uh, I don't know, but he really looks tall and lanky.
2: He he is tall and lanky. Yeah. Yeah, because he's six feet in real life and very skinny. Wow. Well, he's actually twenty four in real life. He's not sixteen, but uh, so yeah, I think um, it's it's decent. Uh, there's some some great character moments, but there's some also really bad moments of terrible acting. But uh, it's okay. It's it's okay. It's it's not great, but it's not terrible. It's, it's it's okay.
0: It happens more on Earth than on Mars, but it was kind of interesting to to follow somebody, you know, who the the first child to be born on Mars who travels back to to the Earth and they're gonna kind of observing the, the side effects which are, gonna, kind of not as big plot point as the, as the the love story in the center center of it all, but yeah.
2: Yeah, and the science is great. I mean, he has to have surgery before he comes to Earth to basically strengthen his bones because his bone density is is not great. Well, it's fine for Mars, but it would not be good on Earth. So he has to have, like, carbon fiber, like, netting basically installed over his bones to strengthen them. Uh, And, yeah, then he has uh, cardiovascular problems when he gets to Earth because, again, he's he's not, not used to it. Uh, so props for the for the science. While they're up there on Mars, you know they have to exercise all the time because they're in this lower gravity environment. There's uh, you have to work your your muscles more so they don't atrophy, and they talk about that a lot. He's yeah, it's 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 good it's good science. It's good science, but that's the best part of it.
0: Well, of course we don't know how it would look like if somebody would get pregnant or <clears throat> would be in the middle of pregnancy on a spaceship in. In low gravity, and then you know, coming coming with the baby, well, actually directly to the operating table to, to have birth on Mars. They're gonna rush him, rush her from the spaceship to the to the operating table to do the surgery or whatnot. Uh, so yeah, so also
2: another point: if that same same as in, on mission on Mars, where NASA would never allow couples to be on these missions together, you do not get on a rocket ship without having taken a pregnancy test. Right. And without being tested for, you know, make sure you don't, you're you not sick, you're not going to get sick, all these things. Um, and then even if, you know, she could say, oh, well, maybe she took the pregnancy test the week before and then she conceived like the night before. No, no, they isolate you. They isolate you away from people for at least a couple weeks because they want to make sure that you haven't gotten anything and there's no um, incubation period for whatever illness you have. Uh, mm. So I'm a I, I, little bit called bullshit on the whole, like, oh my god, she didn't know she was pregnant, the whole thing. But, you know, I understand. They need it for the plot. They they need that to happen so that he can be born there.
0: Yeah, that that is the question with your organs and everything flying around in, in, in the emptiness and then giving birth on Mars. <laughs> Probably not going to be a healthy pregnancy. Well, the mother dies, but, uh, yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, she died,
0: too, so. She died, but he didn't.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Interesting one. Anything else about that? How's that? Mmm. Sweet. Special mention for an actor goes to...
1: On my end that goes to Matt Damon. I'll
0: go with... I, I would go with the Matt Damon, but since I'm going with my movies, I guess. Mmm. I guess I would have to go with Leave Schreiber.
2: Uh, I'm gonna go with Dakota Fanning in War of the Worlds.
0: Sweet. Is there any small role in the film that you would somehow want to highlight? Uh,
2: I'll say in Mission to Mars, I'll say the, the scene that made me cry. Uh, so I'll, I'll give it out to, to Tim Robbins for pulling a tear out of me.
0: I'll give it to the unnamed professor actor doing the goofy victory dance when he creates the anti-gravity powder in A Trip to Mars from 1908. Nice. What resonated with you the most, or the least?
2: Uh, for me, it was this question of uh, language. Uh, I'd love to ask the two Finns here. So, in English, we will we can we use the word alien a lot, but we also use the word Martian, Martian meaning one from Mars. But we don't use it only in meaning people from Mars or creatures from Mars. It's just at the general term. Uh, which I find fascinating from an etymological standpoint, that we just equate Mars with all sort of alien life. Um, yeah, do you guys do the same in finish?
0: I think we do. It wasn't a question that, do we use the word Martian for talking about other people or other species than possible Martians themselves?
2: Like if they came from Jupiter?
1: I have never actually experienced that one.
0: Like casually saying, like, oh, it's some kind of Martian there.
1: No. Yeah. Never. Never. Okay. That.
2: So maybe that's just an English thing, uh, or at least it's one of the languages that do it. Well, so yeah, I find that interesting that we call them Martians, even though they could be from Jupiter or Neptune or wherever.
0: Certainly, I think it's been used like to, to indicate that it's somebody is an alien or would be alien. Maybe we used a little bit jokingly. What resonated with me the most? Let's go with the. Well, I could go with some fancy philosoph- philosophical stuff here, but let's go with bat, rat, spider, crab.
1: <gasps> Henrik, to me, it's the the old realization that the Mars kind of started out as as just a place that has its own own identity. And something where that kind of is is given the right to to drive the humans out, as as is as in case in in trip to Mars, but it pretty quickly turned out to be just kind of another frontier which just exists there for for us to take advantage or terraform or some other way kind of turn turn it into a society or a planet that is somehow more easily understandable to us earthlings.
0: Yeah, there's definitely some ethical questions to, at this point to think about colonizing or having people or e- even rovers on Mars because it's so easy to, to pollute the place with, with Earth life. And we still don't know a heck of a lot about Mars and need to do that before before doing any of the the human thing, of polluting it, uh, in one adjective, how would you describe these films?
1: Colonializing, that would be my mine <laughs> op, my my I'll
2: tag onto that and say imperialism. I'll I'll be naughty and I just go with bad.
0: <laughs> Favorite quotes? Anyone?
2: Um, I'm I'll, I'm gonna say uh, it's from the narrator in Spielberg's War of the Worlds, which is narrated by Morgan Freeman. It's, it's, it's a bit long, but it's the, the opening narration that he gives uh, to the film. It's really fascinating, uh, and it's basically copied and pasted from H.G. Wells's opening paragraph of the novel. Perhaps later, maybe that'll be a, uh, an extra feature where we'll, we'll put some like interesting music behind it, and I'll read it in a, in a very mysterious voice.
0: we can we can leave it after the outro (laughs) well mine is pretty short in the angry red planet when uh, when the 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 rocket ship lands back to earth there are these two survivors and two dead people they still don't know that the mission control doesn't know if there's any survivors anyone anybody to be helped or not so they are kind of wary about the radiation they don't want to go near this ship because of fears about radiation, but then when they notice that there are actually survivors, then the mission control guys guy goes to hell with radiation and they rush to the rescue. Yeah, fuck cancer in an interesting context. Would you consider to watch these films again? No.
2: Uh, no. War, maybe Spielberg's War of the Worlds. It was it's
1: fun. Perhaps The Martian, and Alita, like w- would be possible at some date, rewatchable films. Um, Red Planet. Well, I I've now seen it once, and I would say that one time is is enough.
0: Do you think any of these Martian films have any staying power power or legacy into the future? I would go. That Martian, for sure, is going to stand the test of time. Maybe one or the other of the
1: War of the Worlds, and yeah, not much. I'd, I'd agree with that. I don't know. Uh, Spielberg Spielberg's War of the Worlds and the Martian kind of would appear to be the easiest picks, and the ones you would most think would have a lasting power. Uh, do they really? Though I'm not entirely certain. Like, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Currently, everybody is is still on their five year row of gushing over the Martian. With, but still, I I somehow I just like it, It's it's not a bad film. It's 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 in in all thoughts and purposes. It's, it's well-made movie, but I still don't... I'm not certain that it will have, like, a true legacy.
0: Time will tell. Let's check back in 2040. Would you recommend these films? Because it's kind of a different thing uh, from what you consider to watch these films again. Could be different.
2: I'd recommend um, half of the ones that I talked about. I would recommend the original War of the Worlds the remake and that I think that's it. I, I don't think I'd recommend Mission to Mars or Space Between Us Yeah, no I
0: I wouldn't recommend my films I I wished that I could have recommended The Last Days on Mars it looked kind of cool in the beginning, then winded up winded up into the famous house and stranded Wait, wait
2: you're not going to recommend Santa Claus Conquers the Martians?
0: No. Ugh. <laughs> oh, unfortunately not. So sad. I had some hopes for Stranded, but no. It just didn't seem to have any kind of conclusion or anything to say.
1: Uh, from my lineup, uh, Red Planet, no. That, that film is a complete wash. Uh you uh... a It's kind of tricky. It's not a bad movie per se, but it it is a movie that that is kind of three different movies in in the same package. Alita starts as heavy domestic drama, and from there turns almost slapstick comedy, and finally it's like this Flash Courtney space adventure time, all resorting into... Well, none of it really happened. It was all just a dream, which, in the end, does make it kind of hard to recommend, because it's it's kind of like it it's all it's so all over the place that it's kind of hard to say under what banner you would recommend it. Like you can't recommend it as a drama because the tone shifts. You can't recommend it as a comedy because most of it is is still drama and the space adventure is just like the, the last minutes of the story truly and then then it all is just you know wash in the what he- was in the head all all this time kind of a cop out so that that makes it really hard to recommend and it's it's not even in my opinion it's not even the best of the what, what the soviet cinema has to offer and the Martian, which once again I guess everybody thinks would be kind of like an auto recommendation, seeing exactly how beloved it was when it came out, and that there's a the fact that people still talk about it kind of adoringly. And well, the Martian, I must stress, it's not a bad film in any way, it's 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 really well-made film. Ridley Scott know, knows how to make films. And this is, once again, this is perhaps the better end of Ridley Scott's le- kind of a, these, these later outings that we have now been, been getting out. It most definitely is not as bad as Exodus, scars and Kings or as incomprehensible as, as was prometheus and not nearly as disappointing as was alien covenant so most definitely it's it's better he's got films i i perhaps the martian could get like like half-hearted recommendation if if you wanna really see see um a hard sci-fi realistic take on on mars then by all means check out the martian but if you do that, you know, please do remember that a major plot point is that Matt Damon manages to farm potatoes. And another major plot point is that Matt Damon manages to get the, the rover going and rides around in the rover and and digs some NASA stuff out of the ground. So, you know, with that caveat, I would recommend The Martian. Yeah, for the science guys. For the science guys, and also those who have seen Apollo thirteen and kind of feel that that they they would want to see another film a bit like that.
0: Yeah, it's boring as fuck for some people.
1: I, I would say mo- to most people. Yeah. Or it, it would be that if Matt Damon wouldn't give such a great pre- uh, performance. I mean, I'm... and. Mm-hmm. If Ridley Scott wouldn't be such a high note as a director.
0: Yeah, just boring as fuck comment was towards Apollo 13.
1: Uh, Well, I I would say Apollo 13 is as interesting as is the the kind of a rescue operation aspect of The Martian. Perhaps even, even more interesting because in Apollo 13 they managed to crack more jokes when they are planning their the rescue operation. In in the Martian day, the rescue kind of boils down into well, I really haven't slept in two weeks and I really like coffee, but I did do math.
0: <laughs> What's the order of preference for these films, guys? On my part, I can go first. Uh, I, I'll go with the, the, the best, best one as The Last Days on Mars. The zombie stuff, 2013. The Stranded, 2001, which went a little bit out there with this tunnels on Mars where they ha- find alien bodies. Well, hallucinogens, powerful stuff. Uh, the Angry Red Planet from 1959, B-movie from the old days. A Trip to Mars, 1910, this short film, let's put it here, was entertaining, four minutes. A Trip to Mars, 1918, because I really couldn't get behind... The kind of a boring depiction of of Martians. No creativity, creativity in my books whatsoever. And Santa Claus conquers the Martians as the final worst of the worst from 1964 for me.
1: To me it would be The Martian, Aelita and lastly Red Planet, which stands as a testament of why capitalist filmmaking does not work.
2: I would have to say, um, first would be Spielberg's War of the Worlds, then then Space Between Us, then Mission to Mars, and then... No, then, then the original War of the Worlds, and then Mission to Mars. <laughs> Complete the sentence,
0: please. You really know you're watching Mars-related films.
2: When? When you see films being shot in the... Sp- uh, southwest of the United States and like Arizona and it's the red rocky landscape
0: when you learn that the Martians were nothing but tree-hugging hippies who speak Danish
1: when you un- unironically think that your female co-worker shit is more valuable than gold you fucking insult
0: <laughs> yeah for a- anything related to Mars I'd like to drop some quick shout-outs. So if you're into Mars, maybe check out Astronomy Cast for like a quick fast food on Mars. And then, if, well, not really fast food. It, it's not fair to say because these are Astronomy Cast and Event Horizon from John Michael Godier are both uh, pods that are very informative and the speakers are very erudite on their space talk and interviews. So definitely check those out. Um, uh, anything else at this point? I think that's it. Yeah. Well, I guess there's always space for space, ha ha ha, for Mm. Mars-related joke, like, your mama is so fat that when she jumped into the pool, NASA found water on Mars. You want some more? Wow. These are gold.
2: Oh. Oh, they're gold, are they? Okay. It
1: must be gold because the first joke already went into your mama territory. (laughs)
0: <laughs> How does Earth and Mars schedule a vacation? They plan it. <laughs> if Elon Musk's space company establishes a Mars colony and you have a girl- girlfriend on Mars but later break up because of long distance, she'd be your SpaceX. Why is Bruno Mars not called Bruno Sneakers? Because he has no nuts. I think we've dropped the <laughs> joke quality at this point.
2: <laughs> I don't even get that one.
0: Well, because sneakers has nuts,
2: and
1: yeah, yeah, the Mars the candy bar does not. Yeah.
2: Oh, oh my gosh, we're talking about the candy bar. Oh my gosh. Okay.
0: <laughs> well, dear listener, what you recommend? these films, in case you watched them and hopefully had fun with it. What did you think? Leave us a message on our social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, LinkedIn, on the Facebook as The Flick Lab Podcast, or on Twitter with the handle The Flick Lab. Anything else? Or you want to close and throw the lab coats to I don't know where, the perchlorates.
2: Yeah, I think we're good. Yep.
0: Well, I'm Karri, as usual. You can follow me on Twitter at Karri Oyala, where the O is a zero. Uh,
2: I'm Zach, you can follow me on Twitter at ZacharyPen48.
1: And I'm Henrik, and you can follow me into that dumpster on the dark alley.
0: And you can also check us out on at theflicklab.com Our theme music created by Nick Grivell. This episode edited by me as per usual. In the next episode, and I can't believe I'm saying this guys, we will finish our James Bond marathon with no time to die. Due to coronavirus, we had to wait for over one and a half years to continue our Bond Marathon. Now finally, the film is coming out. As our listeners might know, back in 2019 and 2020, we went through all the films we considered the best and the worst from each Bond actor, and a bit more. Daniel Craig's apparently last Bond film, No Time to Die, will be in theaters in most of Europe on 30th of September. And on October 11th, we will push out the No Time to Die episode. Our Bond expert Tom Frankland will join us as usual. And we will also have a special guest, David Lowbridge Ellis from Licensed to Queer. I will see the film at Gibraltar. And as some of you may know, this is also a location where the opening of the Bond movie The Living Daylights was shot. So I'll be there on October 29th, reporting from their live on Twitter Spaces. Stay tuned for that. So I'm incredibly excited about all of this. So please, for the love of God, please let this be a great film. Thank you for joining us. See you in a fortnight.
1: Later.
2: No one would have believed in the early years of the 21st century that our world was being listened to by intelligences greater than our own. That as they busied themselves about their various film podcasts, they were observed and studied. With infinite complacency, man recorded to and fro about the globe, confident of their broadcasting empire over this world. Yet, across the gulf of space, other podcasts, vast, cool, and unsympathetic, regarded the flip lab with envious eyes and slowly and surely, true their plans against us. I was wondering how many episodes we were going to get through before the word panspermia was used, and I am so glad it was only three. <laughs>